0: Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman podcast. Today, you'll meet Kendall Ballantyne. At the age of 27, Kendall ditched the power suits of her corporate career as director of operations in grocery supply chain for a life in gumboots on the farm where she opened her business, Central Park Farms. Fast forward and eight years later, Central Park Farms employs a small team and is a growing direct-to-consumer producer of beef, pork, and chicken supplying the Metro Vancouver market. In addition to her farm, through her business, Marketing for Farmers, Kendall provides mentorship and education for farmers and ranchers throughout North America, giving them tools to grow their businesses online. I'm very excited for you to get to meet Kendall today and hear all about her story in growing her farm, Central Park Farms. As well, Kendall graciously agreed to record an extended episode with me of how to market yourself and your farm. So the patrons of the Rural Woman podcast at tier 10 will have that automatically download to their phone. And if you are interested in hearing Kendall's extended episode, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about joining us over on Patreon in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast all of that information is in today's show notes. So please head on over to your show notes to learn more. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Kendall. Kendall, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. I am so honored to get to come and hang out with you today. What a good way to spend the day. I'm secretly fangirling, I think, because I have been a fan of yours for a very long time and all of the wonderful work that you're doing. So getting to sit down and chat with you and share your story, really the pleasure is all mine. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Kendall, give us your background Who the heck are you? And how did you get your start in agriculture?
1: Oh, man. Like so many good stories, it started with a guy. So I had been at probably 26. I was ending a relationship that was really not doing good for me. It was really like a toxic relationship, and I had a really tough separation fast forward maybe a year or so and a girlfriend of mine was introducing me to somebody new and I was really not in a position that I I didn't want to be dating again. And she was like, but he's such a great guy. Anyways, I ended up falling for Jay, who is my now husband. And he was at the time that I met him, he was retired from agriculture. He's a fifth generation bird farmer. So his family had been in chicken, in Everything to pheasants to different game birds, and when he retired from farming, he was quail. He owned a quail farm called Specialty Quail Products, and uh, he had retired from farming probably about four years before I met him. And I was pretty disconnected to where my food was coming from. I was going to the grocery store and buying my my food, and really. Falling for all of the like greenwashing labels that exist when you are buying food at large grocery chains. And I kept coming home and showing Jay, you know, like the really expensive chicken that I was buying. And at the time, I had been living in West Vancouver, which is a very like high end, expensive, you know, grocery store area. And I was buying all this expensive meat. And that's kind of what I had become conditioned to buy. And then when I met Jay, he was like, those things that you think you know by the labels and the marketing companies really isn't necessarily what you think. And I had become a little bit, I was in this, I like to call it quarter life crisis because I was probably like 27 at the time. And I decided that I really wanted to try my hand at raising some chicken for our family. And, uh, you know, like some women cut their hair after a bad breakup. And I decided I wanted to go through this, like I'm gonna farm and I'm just gonna produce a little bit of chicken to help feed our family. So I kept kind of peppering Jay with this idea that I wanted to start raising some chicken. And he had absolutely moved away from that point in his life. He was not interested in getting back into agriculture, but we were just kind of at the beginning of dating. And finally, I was able to convince him to help me raise a batch of chicken. His only kind of rule was that I needed to raise enough to offset my costs. I had the privilege of having this the space to be able to do it. And it wasn't being used. And Jay was like, okay, well, like you can do it, but you're going to have to do enough to offset your costs. And I was like, that's fine. And I came home from work. I was working in a super corporate, I was director of operations for a large multinational transportation provider. So we specialized in grocery supply chain. And I came home from my like really stressful corporate career. And Jay let me know that he had set me up with Chicks. Like my first batch of chicks, I was not planning to be a farmer. I was just wanting to produce some of my own food. And I went out to the barn and I opened up the door and there were 500 baby chicks inside the barn, which was way more than what I was planning to produce. Jay now admits that he thought that I was going to do that one batch of birds and then absolutely despise farming, not want to do it. And that we were going to be eating that like same frost-bitten chicken 10 years in the future. So we ended up, I ended up doing that first batch of chicken And in my past life, uh, I was really into doing marketing and I was writing a blog at the time and I was pretty into social media at the time. And so I started selling this chicken on social media and telling people that I was farming. And I'm pretty sure all my friends and family thought I was having like a, you know, a midlife crisis from having gone through that really bad separation about a year and a half earlier. So I ended up selling Like in the first day, I sold 250 of the chickens. I think everyone was just like, Kendall's having a breakdown. We need to buy this chicken. We don't know what's going on. But uh, I ended up selling the chicken and it kind of snowballed. I started getting calls from people saying, you know, I ate your chicken at my neighbor's house. And I was hoping, can I buy some? And it just kind of turned into something that I was working my corporate job and then coming home and doing this like little bit of farming on the side and pretty soon it turned into Jay saying to me like you need to make a decision if you want to continue to do this because I was always calling him and saying like there's a lady who's picking up three chickens can you meet her in the driveway because I had these crazy corporate hours and Jay would have to go and like do this like chicken drug deal in the driveway like cash for chickens because I was at work so he was like if you want to keep doing this all the power to you but you need to decide that that's what you want to do and do that full-time. So I ended up probably seven years ago leaving my corporate job and it was like a really well-paying, super stressful corporate job to farm full-time. And I haven't looked back since. It's been like a super wild ride. And we're, yeah, eight years in business now and we've spread into, we raise pasture-raised pork, free-range chicken, grass-fed beef, we did farmer's markets for a long time. Now we have a team of, I think we're up to, we're up to a staff of nine, which is, I, I don't even understand how I went from like one woman show farming to now we have a team of nine. It's like our whole family is involved. My nephew, my 18 year old nephew graduated last year. He's our farm manager now. Jay's full time into the farm now. My mom works for the farm. It's crazy, like so crazy to me that we have this like little, team and what turned into just me wanting to produce a little bit of meat for my family turned into such a massive passion for me to feed my community. And it's turned into a business that our family gets to work together on. It's super cool.
0: When I think of the definition of trial by fire, I think I'm going to picture you opening the barn to 500 chicks
1: (laughs) from now on. Yeah, honestly... It was like, Jay said, I set you a few chicks and I thought there was going to be like 25. And then I realized, but Jay was was a very large scale farmer. He at his peak was doing, he was a quail producer. At his peak, he was doing 40,000 birds a week. So I mean, very large. So to him a few is 500. To me, I was like, how am I going to sell all these chickens? Like, what am I going to do? I had never, it's not like I had a customer base or anything. Like I had, this was the very first moment. I didn't have a farm name. I didn't have an Instagram account for it. I was just this like 27 year old having this, you know, concept that I was going to do something different and shake things up a little bit because I had had such like a, a rough go for a couple of years and I just wanted to, to try something different. And all of a sudden I was like, I
0: got to sell these. Oh my gosh. That is amazing, Kendall. And, and you did it. I did it. Like looking back, you did it. And now where you are today, having more animals and more land and having a staff of nine, like that is just absolutely incredible. And you know, what a great What a great uh, opening to this chat with you. I want to go back. You know, you grew up in a very, you know, urban area and living in West Vancouver. I have been. It is beautiful. I don't really think of raising 500 chickens or anything like that or even the people who are dreaming of doing that while working in their corporate job but I think after the pandemic everybody wanted to become come out of the closet of wanting to be a farmer but what was your connection to food growing up you know you you shopped in a grocery store where where did that food come from for you
1: yeah, it was bizarre. So I was born and raised in Langley, which now is a pretty big community. When I was younger, it was kind of right in like the suburban cuff of like almost being agriculture. There is still a significant amount of agricultural land there. I farm on agricultural land in Langley as well. We have a ranch in Rock Creek now, but I grew up in Langley. Then I had gone to Vancouver and kind of came back to Langley. But I grew up with a family who, like, my mom worked full-time for a while when I was young. My mom actually worked two full-time jobs. So, like, my mom is this absolutely incredible powerhouse. Like, she is the most amazing mom ever. I'm so honored that she works with me now. But we definitely didn't, like, I wasn't shopping at farmer's markets. I didn't have connection to where my food was coming from at all like I just that wasn't part of our life when I started selling at a farmer's market I had never shopped at a farmer's market not even a single time I I couldn't have gone more 180 with this if I had tried when I when I got older and I started doing my own grocery shopping I certainly at least attempted when I was looking at the labels in the grocery stores tried to kind of decipher what these different labels meant and tried to buy you know the quality of products that I felt like aligned with what I thought I was getting based on those labels. But I certainly was super disconnected to where my food comes from.
0: Yeah. And I just find it really interesting for people who never grew up in an agriculture setting or even lived really close to one and just had no idea what was happening outside their front door. For me, I grew up 20 minutes from where I'm sitting today and I had absolutely no idea what people were doing out here. I just passed these beautiful fields while I drove to an even bigger city to go shopping or whatever it was. But you you had a very interesting job and, you know, being the director of operations and dealing with the grocery supply chain. I'm curious to know, you know, you as a consumer obviously had misconceptions about your food and labels and that kind of stuff, but, you know, you got to deal with customers from grocery stores, whether that be the owner of the grocery store or the consumers themselves who are buying things. What were... Some of the biggest misconceptions that you look back now and think, wow, I can't believe I didn't know that.
1: Well, the thing is, so I manage supply chain, meaning I hired all of the companies that would move freight for so many grocery stores, like the big box retailers, your Costco's, all of those, as well as the actual products that are going into the stores. So I have a very, I knew nothing about agriculture. I knew nothing about farming, but I know a ton about where product comes from throughout North America, how long it's in transport, what the impact is of, you know, food miles to actually get product from where it's produced to where you go into the grocery store and buy it. I have a very clear understanding of what that looks like. I think especially now as I'm starting to see the other, I mean, I was really like the the local food movement's white worst nightmare. Like I shipped product so far in order to get to grocery stores when there's farmers that are producing those exact same products close by. And I just didn't see I don't want to say I didn't see the value. I just, I didn't even think about it. Like it wasn't something that was registering to me. I just went to a grocery store and bought my groceries. I didn't really think about the fact that I could be buying these same products produced locally. And I think there's a big disconnect there when we talk about, you know, environmental impact of certain products. I'm a meat producer. So of course, there's a lot of conversation around that. And I think it's a matter of taking that shift in in perspective and realize that, There's a lot of environmental impact to ship the products as far as I was shipping them. And there is a lot that goes into that. And it's kind of that idea of like, is it still fresh after it's been shipped this far? And like, are we looking at what the environmental impact is of these products when we get them into grocery stores? So I think there was a big learning curve for me once I actually got into producing local food, which is another reason that when Jay came to me, he was like, hey, like, I don't know how much he was self-employed still at the time. And he's like, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to continue to support, you know, the lady picking up two chickens and, you know, interrupt my work day to go and, and help her is that I really felt like all of a sudden in my day job, I was shipping product so far into grocery stores and I was working with all these massive grocery chains and all these huge companies. And then I'd go home and I'd be on social media trying to tell my community, like, please eat local and buy my local product and support local farmers. And I was like, this is really the exact opposite of what my day job is. So I need to make a decision which which team I want to be on and which lane I want to get into, whether that's going to be doing what I'm doing in my day job or whether it's going to be really leaning into supporting local agriculture. And you obviously
0: chose the latter of those. And- I did.
1: I did, I chose the way more challenging one of the two and the like least financially, you know, smart, but it, it was a good choice and one I'm happy to have made.
0: Yeah, well, and in one hand or the other, right? Like you're thinking about you are helping feed people one way or the other, but you now are doing something that is supporting your local community and the knowledge that you have, you're helping others do the same. So I want to dive into, you know, You started with these 500 chicks, and then you've expanded now to have two locations that you are producing food. So tell us more about your operation and uh, what that looks like for you now.
1: Yeah, so when I started out, like I said, Jay had been a farmer for so long, so I was really privileged in this concept of like, I married into agriculture, but I did it in a really kind of different way. I married into agriculture from a family that's multi-generational, but they had all retired from agriculture before I met Jay. So when I came in, they weren't in agriculture, they weren't actively farming anymore, But I had the privilege of having land access in one of the most expensive areas in Canada to farm. I had some equipment access. I mean, certainly we have long since upgraded a lot of that equipment. But when we were first starting out, like I had access to a livestock trailer and I had access to, you know, feeders and waters and barn space and all of those types of things that made it so much more feasible for me to be able to jump in to agriculture in the capacity that I wanted to jump in so it was a little bit of a of a different technique or a different kind of upbringing as as getting into agriculture for me we do farm in such an expensive area so when it was time we wanted to bring in cattle into the operation it was something that jay actually a couple years in he was like why don't you get into doing lives, like large livestock why don't you do cattle So I ended up adding cattle into our business. By that point, Jay was much more involved, starting to get into the day-to-day operations. I kind of like sucked him back into farming. So we decided to get some Angus cattle and start that. But in Langley, it's so hard to buy. It's so hard to find large pieces. There isn't a lot of acreage. It's really starting to get like much more suburban. The agricultural land is much smaller. And really, really expensive. So we ended up looking at a property in a community called Rock Creek. It is in BC. It's about five and a half hours away from our farm. And it's in a community of 181 people. So super rural. It's completely off grid. But it was farmland that I could afford to buy. It was farmland that Jay and I were were able to acquire. So we ended up buying that Going on six, it was, I bought it on my 30th birthday. We bought that land and I've just turned 36. So I guess six years ago. So we now operate seasonally at our ranch with cattle. So spring, summer, fall. And then in the winter, we are mostly operating off of our farm in Langley. Actually about year round, we're still at our farm in Langley. We now do pasture-raised pork on a pretty big scale in comparison to what we were. We do chicken and then we do some beef. Beef is the smallest portion of our operation. So it's something that we hope to be able to get, you know, build up in the coming years. It's really expensive for us to be able to build that herd size up, but it's something that our customers have so much demand for. We sell out a beef so quickly because it's just a much smaller offering that our business has. So it's been a little bit of a kind of unique balance to figure out how to operate both of those properties, but it's really been the only way that financially it's been able to make sense for us when we wanted to get more farmland.
0: I find it really interesting. So if anybody has been following me on social media over this winter, I've been doing some work with Farm Credit Canada and their Young Farmer Summit. And when we're talking about the size of operations from province to province, it's really interesting to me how People compare their size of operation and what they're able to do and what they're able to produce on it and what it means to be a big farm in each individual province varies so much. So to know that, you know, the price of your land in B.C. compared to, let's say, Saskatchewan is like apples to oranges. it It is hard to grow and it's hard to scale. And for me to think of having to have another operation five and a half hours away, I have a problem driving the 15 minutes to the one field that we have to deliver dinner or to move equipment there because I'm just like, 15 minutes, that sounds like a really far way to go. But five and a half hours... That's that's a big commitment. It is. But it, it, when you talk
1: about farmland in our area, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars per acre in the Lower Mainland. So it was like, not only can you just not find the properties that can sustain cattle, but it's very, very, very expensive and it would never cash flow positive for us. So when we were looking, it was our market we sell direct to consumer. so we sell direct to consumer to the Vancouver market. It's where the prices where we can charge what we need to charge to make it make financial sense for us. That's in the in the lower mainland. Jay's got two beautiful kids that are in the lower mainland. so I mean their moms down there. so we are always going to have roots in the lower mainland. But when it was time to like raise some cattle, it just isn't feasible for us to get the amount of farmland that we wanted to get and that we were going to need to get. So it was, where can we find it? And even in those bigger or those smaller communities, it was still like, this is expensive. So then we found the, let's get the place that's eight kilometers up the dirt road and has no power and, you know, it's fully off grid. And then we were like, okay, we can afford this. This is, we're going to have to make this work. Otherwise we can't make cattle work. So we've been figuring it out it's been a lot of trial and error but we're finally at a place we travel we're here in I'm right now I'm in our ranching community so we're here for half of the week and then we're down on the coast at the farm the other half of the week so every single week Jay and I do that drive together I mean I used to do an hour and a half commute to my old office every single day so now
0: I just do my commute all in one big lumps I I'm putting my consumer hat on right now and when you are telling me the cost of how much it actually costs to grow food and I'm even thinking like on on our scale like on a grain farm the actual cost that goes into producing food and as a consumer looking at you know, if you go to a farmer's market and see those prices and thinking, well, this sounds re- like this seems really expensive. I Like it almost feels like a gut punch to, to hear that. And obviously inflation is a hot topic in 2023. Prices of absolutely everything has gone up. So how this kind of goes into the marketing side of things for you. How do you go about Talking to your customers and consumers about the actual price of growing food?
1: I am incredibly transparent. So if you follow me on Instagram, you know I share every detail. And I think that's why we've been able to grow a community of customers that are so loyal to us. We are so lucky as a farm, our customers. I mean, obviously there's a certain point where we may have to price certain people out, unfortunately, just based on like the rising costs. But we try to be super transparent with people on exactly what the true cost of food production is. And we've been able to build a really great following that's very supportive, a good customer base, because I didn't know until I got into farming. And I think that's part of the unique thing when you are a first generation farmer is that I didn't know what I didn't know until I got into agriculture. So whereas other farmers that are maybe multi-generational, Jay doesn't see it necessarily the same way I do because he's just like, of course, that's the way it is. Like, of course, it's really expensive. Of course, the margins are really low. So he doesn't think to talk about those things the way that I do as a first generation producer where I sit there and I'm like, but people don't know this. Like, you know this because you've been doing this for your entire life. But when I used to go to the grocery store or if I had gone to the farmer's market and looked at those prices, I would have no idea just how like razor small those margins are and just how tough it is for farmers to be able to produce food in these communities. Like we cannot, we are losing so many farmers in the lower mainland because it is so expensive to produce food in our area when land costs as much as it does. And then we look at it and we're like, how come there's no farmers in our area? because they they simply can't afford to produce in our area. So we're losing a lot of them and I think that's something that maybe is a little bit more like I talk about it more on social media and I really make sure that we are getting that message out. Not in a poor farmer way, in a resilient way, in a this is what we're doing to make sure that we can produce food and this is why you need to support local farms if you can afford to. I know that's a privilege that not everybody has, but if you're in a position that you
0: can I urge you to because we really need the support as farmers. Yeah, for sure. And I like how you said it's not it's not a poor farmer thing. It is literally just sharing your story and being transparent about how food is produced, where it's coming from, whether that's from your farm, your neighbor's farm, or if it's being shipped across the world to get to your grocery store. And you you've been able to see all sides of that. So, I want to ask, besides, you know, the extremely high land prices and all of the things for you, what have been some of the struggles that you have personally faced as a first generation farmer?
1: I don't know if I'd say it was a struggle more so than a really big learning curve for me. When I got into this space, there were more meat producers There were more small-scale meat producers in my area than there is now. We've lost a bunch of them. And when I first got into it, I really kind of did that. I didn't know enough about farming. So I had to look at the other farms that were doing what I was doing and kind of not mimic, but try to see like, what is their messaging and what is their this? And one thing that I am embarrassed to say now, but at the time I didn't realize, I marketed on the standpoint of like, what I'm doing is better than what other farmers are doing. Like I am better than you should buy from us because we're doing this versus like quote unquote commercial farms. I took the stance that I see a number of farms taking where it's almost like us versus them, large agriculture versus small agriculture and that is something that really I'm looking back like I I cringe at that concept now. All agriculture has value and we don't need to market ourselves, even as small producers. Even when I was doing 500 chickens in a pasture-based model, even, even though I so deeply believe in the type and style of agriculture that I am doing, there is a place and a reason for all agriculture in North America. And we don't need to take the stance of we are doing something that's better or these people are doing something that's worse. And I think that was a big learning curve for me and something that like I don't I still to this day I say to Jay I'm like why didn't you kick me off that high horse I thought I was riding in on when I had no idea about agriculture but now I see it as there is a reason that these things are done even if we don't do them on our farm or thank goodness there's such a wide variety of types of agriculture so that there are different price points for consumers who maybe can't afford to buy direct and do need to shop at the grocery store or need to buy less expensive protein. Thank goodness that those options are out there and we need to like ditch the judgment amongst farmers on, you know, conventional versus maybe the style of agriculture that I'm doing. So I think that was something that I, I didn't really realize going out. And I think it's something that it impacted and impeded my ability To grow community across all types of agriculture. And now looking back, like I have a really good group of farm friends in all styles of agriculture. And thank goodness I had changed the way that I saw things. And thank goodness I had some farm friends along the way that were able to say like, hey, like, you need to look at it this way or Make sure we're not coming into our marketing messaging with, you know, food shaming or farming shaming because we all have a place in feeding our community. And I just feel like that was something that I wish I had done differently at the beginning because I think I would have been a lot farther along in those like deep connections with agriculture and with my fellow farmer because that is one of the most important things for me now. We I feel so
0: honored to feed our community, but I also feel so honored to be part of this industry as a whole. Kendall, I think that was probably one of the most profound answers that I've ever gotten asking that question. And I just want to thank you for your vulnerability in that. And, you know, it's hard to admit when we've done something wrong, but it's so important for our industry to hear people who have made similar, you know, misjudgments previously to learn from that and to grow from that. Because that's how our industry is sustainable is when people learn from things that have not worked previously and whether that's how they grew something, how they raised something, how they marketed something. It's all about learning and growing. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I am Misty over here and I'm very proud of you for For coming to that realization because I think it's so easy, like you said, to sit on your high horse and think, well, I'm obviously doing something better than this guy or vice versa. And it just, you know, it creates such a hostile environment for such a small group of people like when we think of how many farmers and producers there are not only in Canada but worldwide and how many people it takes to actually feed the entire world there's not a lot of us so if we aren't supporting one another in one way or another then how how is this sustainable how do we keep this going I don't have that answer
1: but for sure and yeah. And I mean, there's so many people against agriculture in the first place that we certainly shouldn't be trying to be against each other within the industry as well. And I had a woman reach out to me and it was like it was this other perspective. Not only do we need to support one another as farmers, I had a woman reach out to me during COVID when like everyone was losing their jobs and everything was it was really at the peak of issues for us um in Canada. And I had a woman reach out to me and she was like, I just want to let you know that I have been going through a lot of depression. And she's like, I've been really struggling. I'm a single mom. She's like, I lost my job. And she's like, I just want to let you know that like my kids crawl into bed with me in the morning and we watch your Instagram stories and I get to show them about farming and they get to learn about farming because like the schools were closed and everything. And she was like, I can't afford to support you, but I just want to let you know that you play a really important role in my mornings with my kids. And like, it was just such like a a moment for me of realization that i never want my marketing message to exclude or feel like you're not welcome in my community if you don't support the style of farming that i support because she couldn't afford to support the style of farming that i do but she can maybe buy her groceries elsewhere or support other farmers you know buy go to the food bank whatever like i never want somebody to feel excluded or judged like If she's just struggling to put food on the table for her kids in general, like, I still want her to feel connected to my community and still feel like she can learn something about agriculture. Like, I never want my marketing message to make somebody feel like... Shoot, I can't support a local farm, so I'm not good enough, or I'm not feeding my kids what they should be getting fed. And it was just this like light bulb moment to me that I was like, I need to make sure that I never use language that makes somebody feel food shamed because I want everyone to feel comfortable in my community. And I don't ever want anyone to feel like, well, I'm I'm not there's like enough like mom shaming and there's enough of that in the world. I don't want anyone to ever feel like as a producer of food that I'm judging anyone for what they're Choosing to feed their family or themselves so it was just this like moment where it just reminded me that I need to make sure I'm always cognizant of that message that I'm putting forward because we hold a lot of responsibility and and influence and power in even the smallest of social media accounts we need to make sure we're using that in a positive way
0: absolutely absolutely and you know fed is best yeah when it comes down to it right absolutely fed is best You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come along with being a patron of the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Bev and Sam from the Drink and Farm podcast right, we love supporting the Rural Woman podcast because farm stories matter. No matter how or why you farm, your story has the potential to inspire give new ideas, and bring a different perspective to another human. And those are the gifts that keep on giving. Our stories are what allow us to connect, celebrate, and grieve with each other, supporting that brings our hearts joy. Plus, we think Caitlin is pretty awesome. Join the ladies from the Drink and Farm podcast in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Real Woman podcast, starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. So when we're talking about marketing and, you know, you have a background in marketing, you've you've done it on a corporate level and now going to a smaller scale where you are marketing directly to your consumers, you've also, you know widen that table and have invited other producers to learn from you and, you know, from the wins you've had all the way to the light bulb moments you've had. So you launched something that is pretty neat and I think is super useful, um, marketing for farmers. So tell us more about that part of your business and what people can learn from you.
1: Yeah. So I was really lucky to be invited onto stages at the early part of my career when I was, you know, getting word out there about marketing farms and being able to market our product. And then it was kind of something I was just doing a little bit on the side, doing some speaking engagements, doing some teaching here and there, some workshops on the farm and things like that. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, you know, we've always been an e-commerce platform business. I've always had a really strong social media following. And I don't necessarily mean number of followers because that's ultimately not really a big deal to me. I mean, an engaged, hyper-local following of people who can actually support our farm. We've always had an email newsletter list. So when COVID hit and all of a sudden farmers markets were shutting down in our area and my friends who were supplying restaurants, suddenly those restaurants were closing. I was inundated by my friends saying, I, I just don't even know how to sell now because they were relying on these channels that just weren't there anymore. All of a sudden, in a matter of days, they went from having viable businesses to businesses where they couldn't even access their customers that they had been selling to for years. So I started getting a lot of my friends reaching out to me One of the things that we did right away is we pivoted into a more online shopping store where it wasn't just our product. I was getting my friends like, bring your product. It was, you know, kombucha and chocolate and vegetables and, you know, water buffalo and all these different things that I had never sold on our site before because we had always just been selling our products. Suddenly we turned it into more of a grocery store experience where people could go and get a lot of different products. And we kind of were able to pivot a lot faster and a lot stronger than some of my friends. And so they were all reaching out and saying, like, what do I do now? And how do I make this this work? And how do I we have no idea how long we're going to be facing this and how long markets are going to be closed. And at that time in Vancouver, we were having the grocery stores were having so many shortages of meat and and eggs and things like that. So I was so busy. And I was like, what is the fastest way I can get this information out to any of my farm friends? And I started an Instagram account because I was like, it's going to be free. And that way they can, I can just dump the information. And I was just doing Instagram lives and going on and just, you know, how do you start an online store for your farm? How can you handle delivery? How can you get a newsletter list so that you can really I mean, pivot was the, you know, the term that everybody was using at the time. But I was like, how do I just support farmers? So that ended up happening. It ended up getting more and more popular as we were able to kind of slow down a bit from that huge surge that happened when COVID first hit. I thought, you know what, there's, I feel really a lot of joy in that. I can only feed so many people and we are kind of at a capacity with our business to be able to feed any more community members. It's just not really possible. So how can I support other farmers so they can feed their community? And it just kind of turned into what it is today. I do group coaching, we do retreats, we do online courses. And most importantly for me is... I provide a ton of free resources because I know how hard it is for a farmer to make the numbers work to be able to invest in yourself on a higher level. So I spit a ton of free information out through our website, through our social media just so that even if you can't if you're not in a place where you can afford to invest in that further education for marketing your business you can go on and get so much free information to be able to give yourself the tools that you need to be able to succeed in a long-term sustainable manner through email marketing through e-commerce through all of those things that we're really seeing farmers leaning into these days when they sell direct to consumer
0: i just think that you know any information that you are willing to share with farmers, whether that be a small scale or a larger scale. Like it's just, to me, it's so important for the community aspect for everyone to not be the gatekeepers of things. And obviously your time and your knowledge has value, but being able to share those helpful resources to people with any capacity to do these things, I just think is so important. So for the listeners who would like to learn more about the marketing for farmers, where can they find that online?
1: They can go over to at marketing for farmers on Instagram or we have a website that has tons of free resources and it's marketingforfarmers.co. So you can head over there, you can sign up, you can get free one hour coach one hour like uh, video coaching, lots of different things that are available over there. That part of it, the, the free education is really a give back. There's been so many farmers through the years. I knew the marketing end of it. I didn't know the first thing about farming though. And there have been so many farmers through the years that have helped me with all of the things that I needed to know about herd health and everything on the farming end of things. Somebody had to be generous enough to teach me. So this is the space where I, like this is the area I know and this is how I'm able to give back so that I can support the industry
0: as well. Amazing. And those links will be in the show notes for anybody who would like to reach out and connect with you. All right. We're going to jump into the rapid fire questions. Are (sighs) you ready? Hopefully I've had enough coffee. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is one tool on your farm that you could not live without? My phone.
1: I know that's the weirdest, but literally I wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for the technology connection to be able to connect
0: directly to my customers, my phone. Isn't that wild to think of? like
1: It is. It's so wild. I remember when Jay and I first met and he was like first trying to teach me how to farm, he kept saying to me like, put your phone down. I can't teach you how to farm with a phone in your hand. And I was like, then, then you're not going to need to teach me how to farm because if I don't have a phone in my hand, I'm not going to have the customer's. Like if I'm not taking the videos, then there's no point in teaching me because I won't be able to sell it. And now he's the one that's like, Kendall, the cows are doing something cute. Grab your phone. (laughs) So it's been, (laughs) because like he doesn't even have Instagram. He had an iPhone 4 until last year when he ran it over with a tractor. Jay is like the opposite of tech. So now he sees that it drives our business. So I don't need any of the other tools
0: unless I have that one. Amazing, amazing. What is one chore that you absolutely love to do? I love building
1: fences. I love fence building. When it is done and you look and it's straight and it's... uh, I would be a fence builder. Like if if farming doesn't work out, I'm just going to become a fence builder because I love building fences on the farm.
0: Yeah, I don't feel like I have the capability of ever making a straight fence. Uh, So you obviously have this skill and obviously the love for it, so... Uh, when when you have some free time, you can head on over here help me. Yeah, I
1: can swing out your way.
0: <laughs> yeah, help me build a fence, why don't you? So, all right, I want to do the exact opposite. If there was one chore that you never had to do again, what would it be? Scoop poop.
1: I've scooped a lot of poop in my day. Not that I won't still get in there, but I mean, if I if I didn't have to, I'd be all right with it.
0: Yeah, you know, they say it's a shitty job for a reason. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I used to be just me, so I did a lot of it. It's funny because every once in a while, I'll go to the farm and actually, like, get into a job like that still. And, like, my nephew, who's our, our farm manager, or we've had different, you know, teenagers or young people working on the farm, and they all look at me. I'm like, try to tell me how to do it. And I'm like, I did this by myself for years. I got it. <laughs> I can still do it. Sometimes
0: I got to remind them that I can still do it. Right. Exactly. You just got to show up and, you know, do, do the shit job and... Uh literally and figuratively and show them how, how to do it. Exactly. (laughs) Kendall, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? It's gotta be, it comes down to community. I am
1: so honored to be part of the community of rural women who are doing big things. And I feel just so privileged to be able to call these women friends and, you know, work alongside them. And I think that's just... There's been such a shift in these recent years, thanks to people like you who are telling the story of rural women so that we can have that feeling of community. Even if we are in a town of 181 people where it doesn't feel like we have that community inside of our own town, the fact that we can stick some headphones in and go for a walk and listen to your podcast or jump online and get some, you know, group coaching or whatever it is to be able to find that community across North America is just such an incredible thing. And I'm so honored to be a part
0: of it. I I am honored to be a rural woman right beside you and in those earbuds and share the stories of incredible women like you. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It has been, it's been, a, it's been a great chat with you. Just like I knew it would be. For the listeners who would like to connect with you online, where can they find you? So my farm
1: is Central Park Farms. So you can find us centralparkfarms.com over on Instagram, which is where I'm most active is at Central Park Farms with an S at the end, farms, and then uh, marketing for farmers. So those are my two main areas that you can find me. If you find one, you'll find
0: the other because they're usually kind of linked together, but that's where I'm hanging out in my corner of the internet. Perfect. And those will be linked in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Awesome. Thank you again, Kendall, for sharing your story with us today. I truly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to The Rural Woman Podcast team Audio editor Max Hofer and admin support from Kim and Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to WildRoseFarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at the Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.